Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Monday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stemsky. We're right here on the Ringer Podcast Network and the clock has struck midnight for Mike White. The fairy tale, the feel-good New York Jets story that kind of propelled us through these last couple weeks. I think it is fair to say, after watching Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, Mike White has turned into the proverbial pumpkin. That was tough to watch. That was basically your worst nightmare going into this particular game, that you were going to get an angry, ticked-off Buffalo Bills team that was going to lay the lumber, that was going to take out their anger and their frustration on Mike White and the New York Jets. That's exactly what they did. Now, I am not going to make this entire game narrative about the quarterback position because, quite frankly, that's not fair. The Jets, correct me if I'm wrong, gave up 45 points again. Again. This is a defense that gets gashed week after week after week. 
Listen to this. They gave up 54 to New England. They gave up 31 to the Bengals. They gave up 45 to the Colts. They gave up 45 to the Buffalo Bills. They haven't played a lick of defense. Period. That great defensive effort. They had, what was it? About six to eight weeks ago against the Tennessee Titans. Remember we were singing the praises of Robert Sala and the game plan and shutting down Derrick Henry and blah, 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 blah. This defense, I know they got young players out there. I know they lost Carl Lawson at the beginning of the year. They're awful. Something's got to give next week with the Miami Dolphins, who can't score points against anybody. Either Dolphins offense is getting a get-right game or the Jet defense is getting a get-right game. And then I have some questions. Number one, Stephon Diggs is one of the premier receivers in the NFL. You don't have what we would, dare I say, categorize as like a lockdown corner. You don't have uh, a Lattimore. You don't have an Xavier Howard. You don't have a Tredavious White. You don't have a guy that, like, you can put on a number one receiver and say, hey, guess what? I'm going to just have him play single coverage, and I'm going to let him feast, and I'm going to let him go to work, and I'm going to trust that corner. They just don't have that. So how do you watch this game and see as many single coverage looks for Stephon Diggs, including the one at the end of the first half, which was a killer. I mean, basically, this game was over. End of the first half, beginning of the second half, bing, bang, boom, there was nothing that needed to be said otherwise. Because after the Davis fumble, which is totally unacceptable, and Davis has got to be smarter and got to be safer and more protective of the football, you got one-on-one coverage on Diggs. Just like that, boom, 17 to 3 game. You can't allow that to happen after a field goal. Now, the Corey Davis fumble happened after the fact. Doesn't matter. Regardless, you had points. You had an opportunity to maybe somehow, some way stabilize the game. Food for thought. Take away Stephon Diggs. That's number one. Number two, this defense continues to get embarrassed. I mean, you have now seen on a couple of different occasions, teams take great pleasure and take great liberty in running up the score on the New York Jets. New England did that, and Buffalo did that. Buffalo couldn't wait. Even though this game was whatever it was, 38 to 10, 38 to 3, they sent an Allen back on the field. They said, yep, it's going to be a get-right game for our offense. If that means Matt Breida, if that means Cole Beasley, if that means Stephon Diggs, we're getting everybody involved, and we're going to walk out of here with big, fat smiles on our face leaving this building. The quarterback discussion is going to dominate a whole lot of the final seven to eight games of this regular season. And I do believe come Sunday, assuming he is physically able and right against Miami, Zach Wilson will be back at quarterback. But let's go beyond the simplicity of his development, which is a must for the franchise. Jets got to get better on defense. These are not competitive defensive performances. And I know Buffalo is really, really good. But Indianapolis, they're a good offensive team. They're not a great offensive team. I didn't see them go for 45 against Jacksonville today. I mean, did you? New England? Yeah. They are really starting to hit their stride, which bothers me. Bill from Los Angeles is a little too giddy for my liking. But they made the Patriot offense look like the 2007 Patriot offense. They can't set the edge. They make way too many simple mistakes. 
They get gashed on the ground. They get gashed in the air. And I ask you the simple question. What exactly is the Jet defense doing productively? You tell me. Are they getting after the quarterback at a high level? Are they forcing a ton of turnovers? Are they out-scheming other opponents? I see none of that. And that's a bad look for this coaching staff. It's one thing to lose. It's one thing to have a quarterback look a little over his head. That can happen. 45 points in back-to-back weeks is completely unacceptable. And I do not want that to get lost in the storyline of Mike White turning into a pumpkin. Because he did turn into a pumpkin. And he should be on the bench if Wilson is right. Because you want to get that rookie development back on the way. You want to get him more and more into a comfort zone by the time you hit the end of this season. All true. It's all fair. But this defense stinks. It is comically bad. And the good vibes from a couple of weeks ago against the Cincinnati Bengals, I think it's fair to say it's back to reality for the New York Jets, two and seven, and knowing this is going to be a long year. So it's back to being a long year. And if it's going to be back to being a long year, Let's get the quarterback who's supposed to be the face of the franchise and the future of the franchise back on the field whenever he is physically right. That's the way I see it. You got the bad game. Now you can pivot and kind of take it from there. And it's just an easy call for the Jets from that standpoint moving forward. But Sunday, good luck trying to find a positive. Actually, I'll give you two. Michael Carter, who I think is a player, and I'll give you another positive. And he's, he's got to play more. I don't care if Davis is here. I don't care if Crowder's here. I got to see more of Elijah Moore. They're playing the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. I hope they keep Elijah Moore on the bench. I don't want to see him torture my football team. That's a guy who needs to play. Because these are two players that maybe are part of something that you have churning and cooking in the future. You got all that just awfulness when it comes to the New York Jets from Sunday. And I think from a Knickerbocker standpoint, And I noticed this on Friday. I thought about doing a green room, but I'll be perfectly honest with you. I was a little under the weather. The voice was super, super hoarse. So I was like, listen, I'm in in no condition to do a green room because I sound like absolute crap. The Knicks have a problem with their starters. And before anybody makes the proclamation, got to change the starting lineup. Maybe our backups got to be getting more of the time. Know this. The Nick backups are taking advantage of backup players throughout the league. You put the Nick backups, and I'm not counting Rose in that category. I'm talking about the other guys. I'm talking Toppin, Quickly, et cetera. They're going to be going up against starters. The third quarter, not even the start of these games, but more so the third quarter for the New York Knicks continues to be a major issue. They got up to a great start on Friday night. Kemba Walker's lighting it up. Probably the most efficient quarter he's had in Nick uniform so far. They let Charlotte get back in the game somewhat in the second quarter. And in the third quarter, they come out completely flat. Why is that the case? Is that the case of the veteran minutes, veteran players just not being as good as they need to be? Is it the case of a little bit of tired legs? Shifting tired legs for a month in the year, for goodness sakes. So that's something I don't want to hear about. But it's been alarming the watch. And got to be fair on this. Julius Randle has not been as good as he was a year ago. Now, it's early. It's a month into this year. So I'm not ready to go for, like, the, the overarching narratives and storylines. But you saw it at the end of that game. Randle is missing free throws. He's not making big plays down the stretch. It was basically a poor opposite of what you saw from 
way too many Julius Randle games in the clutch going back to last year, where Randle was exactly the guy you wanted with the ball in his hands. You knew he was going to make the right basketball play, and he made a whole lot of big, quality, winning plays for this basketball team. So the Knicks, after getting off to a sizzling, sizzling start, I think they, in many ways, have run into the reality that is the Eastern Conference this year. And listen, I've been talking about this on this show since basketball season started. The Eastern Conference is better than advertised. It's deeper than advertised. You don't have as many of those bottom feeder teams as you used to have. Tough to find a real bad team. Teams that weren't that good last year, they've been spunky early on. Is that going to continue? Remains to be seen. But Cleveland has been competitive. They beat the Knicks. Toronto has been competitive. They beat the Knicks. Washington is off to a better start. I can't believe the record. I saw Washington in person against Brooklyn. You would have told me that team would have the record they have so far. I never in a million freaking years would have believed it. Never in a million years. So, this is a big week for the Knicks. They got to start playing better at Madison Square Garden. They got to start winning these games. Monday against the Indiana Pacers. Me and the guys will be out there Wednesday when they're taking on the Orlando Magic. And Tibbs has got to figure out, do I need to tweak things coming out of the locker room? Do I need to tweak things starting the game with the lineups that I'm putting out there, with the rotations I'm putting out there? These are the questions you got to figure out. This, in theory, should be a big week for the Knicks. Should be, in theory, as they sit here with a record of 7-6 and six on the year. They got the Pacers at home, the Magic at home, the Rockets at home. Those are three games you got to go win. When you had a rough week, and they had a rough week after the Philadelphia win. Bad loss against Milwaukee, not going to kill them for that. Brutal loss against Charlotte. I don't want 2-1 this week. I want 3-0. Pacers, probably the toughest game in a bunch. You can't lose to the Magic twice in your own building in the span of four weeks. I'm sorry, that's just completely unacceptable if that's the case. And the Rockets are 1-12 on the year. When the Knicks go to Chicago next Sunday night, they better have three more wins in their back pocket. That's the way I'm looking at this week. This should be a get-right week for the Knickerbockers. Time to tighten that shit up, as my favorite Yankee manager likes to say. See? I could have some. I could go a little tiny. All right, we got a loaded show. Mike Carver is giddy. I was texting with him throughout the day. He loved every minute of this Mike White uh, implosion. He's going to join us. Uh, We'll talk some big stuff with him. Trying to figure out who his biggest threat in the AFC might be. A wide open AFC. We'll run around the league. But first, and before voicemails, Bob Mishusen, who I love. He's one of the hardest working men in the biz. He's doing Jets. He's doing college football. He's doing the NHL. He's doing college basketball. The guy is all over the place. He's going to join us next. And... I'm going to warn you. It was a little down in the dumps. Not going to lie to you, folks. Bobby was definitely a little down in the dumps. And after this Jet performance, I can understand why. He's up next. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. It was a brutal Sunday for the New York Jets. They get smoked by the Buffalo Bills. We welcome in the radio voice of the New York Jets, a guy who's bouncing around. He's doing Miss State Auburn. He's doing NHL games. 
He's a busy dude, the great Bob with shoes. And what's happening, Bobby? Uh, I've been better, JJ. How are you? I, I can understand that, Bob. And, you know, shame on me. I thought the Jets would compete in this game. Buffalo struggled with Miami two weeks ago. They struggled and lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars last week. Um, curiously, did you expect the Jets to be in this game or were you fearful of the spot for Buffalo in, you know, a get right type scenario? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, the kind of thing that fans and media talk about that the players and coaches completely downplay and, you know, act like it doesn't matter to me came to pass today. I mean, you know, the fans of the media see the Bills lose last week in a terrible performance in Jacksonville, and you're like, uh-oh. I mean, they're going to come in here angry. And, of course, the you know, the players and the coaches always say, well, no, I mean, everybody's a pro. That doesn't matter. They don't need any extra motivation. This is the NFL, blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, you saw today what the Bills attitude was they wanted to get every bad taste out of their mouth exercise every demon from that performance last week and when they were up five touchdowns they were still throwing the ball deep against the jets so there was no doubt that they approached that game today like the angry team i think we all knew they would be with how they performed last week you know New York can be a sucker for a storyline. And Mike White was a ton of fun over the last few weeks. He ran the offense great against the Bengals. Got off to a good start against the Colts before he goes down with the injury. Uh, this, to me, though, Bob, was the clock in many ways striking midnight on Mike White. This was ugly. A really good defense. Whooped them. They got whooped at the point of attack. He made some terrible decisions. You're around this team every day. You have a sense. You have a feel for this team. Do you think next Sunday against the Miami Dolphins, if he's healthy, Zach Wilson is back at quarterback? Yeah, I think Zach Wilson will take back over. Um, but again, it kind of illustrates how unfair this system is to a guy like Mike White. Because for a player like Zach Wilson, when you get drafted second overall and a team invests what they invest in you when you're drafted there with the money they're paying you, I mean, you're going to get three or four years to prove whether or not you can or can't do this. And just like we shouldn't put Mike White in the Hall of Fame based on one amazing performance against Cincinnati, you know, no one should now turn around and say, well, he definitively can't do this because he had one bad performance against a really, really good defense. Like it's, it's just an, an asinine you know, way to look at the sample size of one or two games to determine a guy's career. So, um, you know, I mean, what we saw him do against the Bengals, he did. He threw for 400 yards, and, you know, he was masterful that day. And So that means it's in there. It's in there somewhere. Um, I don't think the Jets are the team that he's going to get a chance to do this with. But I would hate to think that because he went out and performed the way he did today, that every team in the NFL would not turn around, just throw what he did against the Bengals out the window and kind of toss – his career on the scrap heap saying, oh, well, obviously he can't do this. I mean, you know, there are a lot of quarterbacks that don't look very good um, against the team. It's the number one defense in the NFL. And, uh, you know, I, he, I mean, he deserves a much larger sample size to determine what can actually do this or not. 
I'm not going to fight you on that, but you know the deal. You just said it a minute ago. When you're the second overall pick, team's going to be itchy. They're going to be antsy to get you back on the field. In general, Bob, do you think this coaching staff, do you think LaFleur and company has been stressing to Wilson, whenever you get back on the field, you got to take the safe throw. You got to put yourself in better second and third down situations. Like, you think if there's one thing they are like trying to emphasize more than anything else with this young quarterback, you think it's that? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you have to, the way that you end up not only, you know, too many three and outs, taking sacks, holding out of the ball too long, but also turning it over is when you're trying to force the chunk play when, you know, you don't, every play doesn't have to be a triple or a home run. It's singles. That's okay. Um, so, yeah, I would think that if there's one thing we would probably want to see out of Zach Wilson when he finally comes back, it is that decision-making. And in a way, this could all really work out for him. Um, sit for three weeks, take a look at this, kind of take a step back. I heard Mike Tannenbaum say this, you'd never want a player to get injured. But you can make an argument that getting injured might be the best possible thing for Zach Wilson because he does now get a chance to take a breath and watch you know, the offense run from a completely different perspective. And also, to bring him back against that defense, even if he's a little banged up, I mean, the way Mike White played for two weeks also gave them a ready-made excuse to say, well, Mike White deserves to go out there and try it at least one more time. I mean, come on, he threw for 400 yards a couple of weeks ago and then got hurt. You know, he's, he's earned the right to try this again. All right, well, now if you go back to Zach Wilson, look at the next six games for the Jets. They play the Dolphins twice. They've got the Texans in there. They have the Christmas. They play the Jaguars. They've got the Saints. I mean, they've, they've got a six-week stretch now that has to be by far the easiest six-week stretch of their season. So if there was ever a chance for Zach Wilson to not only take a beat, but also have a soft landing spot when he comes back, or at least as soft as it could be made for him, and this is it. Now he doesn't have to go out there against the number one defense in the NFL, he plays the Dolphins next week. He's got the Eagles coming up. And, you know, I mean, it's this, this should give him a chance, if he's going to get something out of his rookie season, to have a stretch of games where maybe he can, you know, feel better about himself than certainly he did before he got hurt. Something's got to give next week, Bob, because the Jets can't stop anybody and the Dolphins can't score. So one of those units is getting right next week. I don't know who it's going to be, but one of those units is getting right. Yeah, I was actually you know, talked about it with Marty Lyons during our broadcast multiple times, and he just kept on going back to it, that, you know, the Jets on Thursday, a week and a half ago, gave up 200 to the Colts before contact. I mean, that's, that, that, those are like numbers that Nebraska used to put up against people when they ran the wishbone. Like, you're not supposed to, in the NFL, ever have a number like that on your defense. And to today, again, from a run defense standpoint, fail to set the edge, fail to have guys, you know, be in the right gaps. You could see missed assignments, bad eye, the jet sweeps work, anything misdirection worked against them. Um, it's a young defense, and I get that, but they do have guys out there now like Jared Davis. Obviously, that's C.J. Mosley. I mean, there's very experienced players on their defensive line, Sheldon Rankins and Quinn and Williams, and Nathan Shepard, Foley Fatukasi. Like, these guys are multiple years in the NFL guys. The back end of the defense, they're babies, but the front seven's got plenty of guys who have enough experience 
to play a lot better than they played the last, you know, three out of the last four weeks. Um, so and it's hard to imagine this is the same team to play Derrick Henry the way they did at home, the way they've been run on recently. So, you know, maybe maybe the Dolphins are a get-right offense for a defense that's struggling. We'll see. But for the, the, the Jet defense right now, they are making college football mistakes in terms of the discipline of the front seven against the run. Let's take the quarterback out of this for a second. They have, as you mentioned, a very soft schedule over the final, what, seven, eight games, give or take. Uh, I'm not going to rattle it through, but Dolphins twice, Jaguars, just to name a few. Let's take Wilson and his progress out of this equation. What, in your opinion, Bob, would signal progress from a team standpoint more than anything? Like watching them every Sunday like you do. If there's one thing you want to see week after week after week, aside from the quarterback just getting a lot better, what element are you looking at? Just discipline, competitive football. Like, you know it when you see it. I mean, you can back a, back your way into a win sometimes in the NFL if the opposition comes out and slows you and hands you a bunch of turnovers. They have certainly not had that. At the start of the season, people were asking me, how many wins? You know, seven and ten this year? Still sounds weird to say that, seven and ten. But seven and ten this year, eight and nine? Like, what would be good? And I said from the start of the season that I was not someone that was going to put a win total on this year as the barometer. I did not think that was what it was going to be about. With a two-win team last year, I mean, a roster that is devoid of players because they are still trying to dig themselves out of a a six- or seven-year hole where entire draft classes are wiped off of this roster. So Joe Douglas deserves the right to have three or four draft classes to rebuild the roster back. I get that. Rebuilding, I mean, especially when you've gone through two of them that didn't work, Jet fans don't want to hear that anymore, and I appreciate that. It doesn't change the reality of what they're facing. So I didn't put a win total on it. I thought all along for them was just pass the eye test. Like last year when they were losing, it felt like their losses, especially the first half of the season, were all like 26-6, to right? Just like boring, non-competitive, dead-in-the-water games that you were going through the motions in the second half. And this year, even if you're going to lose, all right, well, you'll lose because you're a young team and you're rebuilding and you're not that good. you got a rookie quarterback. But lose 31-24. You know, lose 34-28. Or maybe you've got the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to, to win the game or, you know, to pull within a score, get to an onside kick. And they've had a couple of games like that. But recently, some of these performances, I mean, against the Patriots, um, you know, against the Colts on Thursday night, today, these are these are like last year. Like, these are the non-competitive performances. To me, that's the worrisome part of it. That's where a Jet fan has a right to look at a young team and, and really ask the question, is the arrow pointing up? And, you know, hey, look, they still have half a season to go. They've got eight more games. And again, much lesser competition over the next six weeks than they've had. But it doesn't matter who they're playing. They have to play a whole different level of competitive football, I think, to get a fan to the point where they would have the right to say, all right, at least I see some progress here and I see a young core that I can believe in. Because if they don't believe in that right now, I can't blame them. Look at how they've played over the past three or four weeks. I'm going to try and put you in a better mood because I could see the Jets beating you down a little bit, understandably so. I'm going to let you be odds maker because you did Auburn yesterday. 
Bama against hey. Auburn in a couple of weeks, is that spread over or under a touchdown? Oh, oh, way over. Way over. Okay. So you're saying north is seven. Oh, yeah. So you don't think Auburn, oh, Iron yeah. Bowl, chance to play spoiler, you, you think they get their doors blown off, basically, is what you tell me with that spread. Yeah, I mean, if I'm an odds maker, like, there's all of that. Right? Like, I mean, you obviously are going to try and paint that picture that, you know, throw the records out the window. It's a rivalry game. I mean, and there's something to that. Like, those rivalry games are real. Um, that's something that when you're in a pro sports town, no matter what the rivalries are and what you think the rivalries are, you have no idea what rivalries are until you go to the South for college football or the Midwest, like in the Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State. Like, I mean, those are like they've got countdown clocks in their football facilities counting down to the next year's rivalry. You know, like, you know, Ohio State's facility, they have a countdown clock that starts as soon as the Ohio State-Michigan game ends, the countdown to next year's Ohio State-Michigan game. So, like, it's, it's a totally different level. So I get that, that school spirit thing. But, I mean, part of, like, watching Auburn, eyeballing them, like, it's Mississippi State, who is a mediocre SEC team. And calling the game yesterday, there was a big chunk of that game where Mississippi State looked like the Bills against the Jets today. But Auburn just had no chance to stop them. And Mississippi State doesn't have, you know, half the, the overall football talent that Alabama has. And that's, I don't even think this is a vintage Alabama team. And they're better than Mississippi State. So, yeah, I mean, I have a really hard time. Like, if I'm an odds maker, to me, that's a first blush. Based on what I saw yesterday, I would think that would be a, a two-touchdown spread. Maybe a six more. I don't know. I'm not going to have you pick the college football playoff Tuesday. That's no fun. Your gut feel before we say goodbye. In early December, Georgia's going to be there. Who are the other three, Bob, we're choosing? Say Oregon. I think they're definitely the best team in that league. And the fact that they've got that road win against Ohio That Ohio State, State win is gigantic. It's gigantic. No huge. doubt about it. That, that's what has them there. Because the, the loss to Stanford, if it was like, if they, instead of playing Ohio State, if they had had some kind of a guarantee game against, like, you know, Portland or something, then, yeah, it wouldn't be one of the four. So there's no question the Ohio State win is why they're there. Um, I think Ohio State will be there as well because I do think that, um, that you know, they'll beat Michigan. And I think they'll beat them in, you know, the championship game. Um, and I, I think there's a chance that Georgia and Alabama both get there. To me, that's the nightmare scenario for Cincinnati. So you get Ohio State, Oregon both get there because they're going to run the table in their leagues. And you're going to have Alabama and Georgia both also run the table, play in the SEC championship game, and have it be really close. And then the committee's going to sit there and say, well, if number one plays number two in the SEC championship game, really, really close, why would we take like the number one team or even number two and drop them all the way to number five? Take a team from the American Conference and put them in just because they're undefeated. So, so I think Cincinnati has a chance. I mean, to me, that'll be the big debate. Yeah, they've got a chance. And they've had some wins go their way. And some of this perfect storm that they need to happen is 
happening around them. But I don't know. When I think when push comes to shove, I think that there will be, you know, potentially two SEC teams in there because, like, if I'm, you know, playing this out the way I think it's going to play out, I think you're going to get a, a very competitive SEC championship game, and it'll be hard to take either of those two teams out. Thanks for a couple of minutes. I'm fired up. It's going to be a great stretch. All the college football, the NFL, Thanksgiving, nothing like it. And I got to know, what is the over-under right now at Bob with shoes and trips to the Carrier Dome for basketball? What are we setting that number at, Bob? One and a half right about now? Oh, man. That's probably an under. Wow. That that means bad news for Syracuse then. Because I was thinking if they're working their way onto your radar, it's good news. Yeah, I mean, you like there's nothing wrong with going to do a Syracuse game. Um, that that's a fun place to be. Uh, but yeah, between like with the NHL responsibilities, obviously, you know, you can't do everything. As much as I love college basketball, and I'm still going to work college basketball with uh, with my man Dickie V on Saturdays, um, and it's amazing. He's 80, going on 83 years old. He's on chemo, and he's going to go out to games. Like he's God just bless him. Un- God un- bless him, Bob. He's like an uncomfortable spirit. It's incredible. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I will keep my fingers crossed that the stars will align and there'll be a Saturday Syracuse game I get to go do. Well, listen, if it's you and Dickie V, that's magical stuff, bro. Thanks for a couple of minutes. Uh, I, I wish you well, aside from next week. Next week, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not wishing you well. Yeah. Aside from that, Bobby, nothing but the best. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. No worries. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So before we get to voicemails, let's run around the league, and there's no bigger winner hands down, than the Kansas City Chiefs. And when you're wrong, you're wrong. I could not have been more wrong about Chiefs and Raiders. I love the Raiders tonight. I thought the line was telling. I thought you'd get a big effort from Vegas. I was stupid enough to think that Vegas' this season was not going to come apart at the seams like it has the last couple of years. Well, it's clearly coming apart at the seams. And the Chiefs had one of those get-right games. This was one of those games where Patrick Mahomes was slinging all over the place and he looked like Patrick Mahomes the last year and the year before that and the year before that. 400 yards, five touchdowns. Those are the games that we were used to seeing from Mahomes basically on a regular basis where he made it par for the course. Remember last week we had that discussion, who's going to win the AFC West? Well, after this week, I don't think you're getting plus 200 on the Kansas City Chiefs. So I may lose this Raider beak. Maybe I'm going to win the war, though, and get the Chiefs at plus 200. So maybe I'll be able to live and tell a different story at the end of the year. So you had that hands-down biggest win of the week. Kansas City whooping the Raiders, considering what was on the line in the AFC West. Hands down to me. The other big winner of the week, and it pains me to say this, I'm bothered by this. I'm sure a good quotient of the audience He's bothered by this. The New England Patriots are at it again. That was surgical. 
against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. And, you know, I had a little buyer's remorse because I thought about taking the Pats all week. They've been good to me. I've taken them in a couple of games. I thought about throwing them in with the picks, and I just didn't do it. I don't know why. I got scared off with the game for whatever the reason. After giving up an opening drive touchdown, New England scores 45 unanswered. They pound Baker Mayfield. They play unbelievable defense. They run for 184 yards. Mac Jones is dropping dimes and is basically executing in play action and executing third down like it's no tomorrow. And the Patriots look every bit of a playoff team. And every bit of a team that you don't want to play in the playoffs because of the coaching, the running game, and the defense. And a quarterback is not going to make major mistakes. That was quite the effort from New England. And Cleveland's got issues. Their schedule is brutal down the stretch. When they don't make big plays, they don't score. Now, I know they didn't have Chubb. That's obviously a big loss. But what kind of shape is Baker Mayfield going to be in for the rest of the year? And listen, I'm a big Baker Mayfield guy. He's not had a great season. I think he's a starting caliber NFL quarterback. I thought he was going to be better than that. I got to be honest. That's where the disappointment comes in with Baker. He's fine. He's okay. I don't see star. You know what I mean? You watch Baker Mayfield play week in and week out. He has good weeks. He has good games. I like him personally. But he's not striking me as a difference-making quarterback. I don't know how you could argue otherwise. Now that there's enough of a body of work over the last couple of years, that's pretty clear to see. Now, Tony and I were talking about this before we did the show tonight. The crowning of Justin Herbert's got to stop. Justin Herbert's a good quarterback. I'm not trying to disparage in any way. The pedestal that Justin Herbert was put on back in like week three or week four, I mean, you would have thought he was Dan Marino. You would have thought he was Patrick Mahomes. You, you would have thought that he was John Elway, for goodness sakes. I mean, the guy won five or six games last year, and their team is only a game over 500 this year. And three of his last five games, let's be honest, Herbert has not been very good. Look at Herbert's numbers today against a pretty mediocre Minnesota Viking defense. So it's for 195 yards and a touchdown. And Minnesota goes and wins that game 27 to 20. Good for the Vikings. They had a fourth and two. They said, we're playing a win. We're giving the ball to Dalvin Cook. We are icing this game right here, right now. And they won the game. More coaches around the league are starting to get the memo. I love it. Mike Zimmer, round of applause. I'll get to McCarthy in a minute. I roasted Mike McCarthy his final year in Green Bay like there was no tomorrow. I am watching the Dallas Cowboy game today, and I had to get my eyes checked. I go, is is this the same coach? He's like freewheeling, baby. He's like me at the craps table. He's getting more money on the table. He's like, fuck it. Let's go for it. I love it. I love it. You kick, you lose. You play to win, you play to win. The Vikings are one of those teams. I'm telling you, it's going to be a roller coaster with them all year. And the Chargers are the same way. The Chargers, I think, will probably end up in the postseason. They have a very good quarterback prospect. I'm not trying to rag on them. I'm just trying to calm down these narratives that are out there. Like, Justin Herbert is now the crown prince of NFL quarterbacks. He's not. He's not Patrick Mahomes. Let's put it that way. He's very good. He's not Mahomes. Couple other games to note. Cowboys, 
What a whooping against the Atlanta Falcons. I like them today. I was surprised the line moved against them as we got closer and closer to kickoff. That was an anger effort. We saw that from Buffalo where they took out the Jaguar game on the Jets. Dallas did the exact same thing on Atlanta. I mean, this game, Matt Ryan had no chance. Dak Prescott was cooking. Cowboy rushing attack was cooking. This game was over. Basically, you know, a quarter and a half into the game. Nice. Two and three week is not anything to write home about. But when you have a win like that, it's good to be in the feed-up scenario. Titans and Saints, this was a great game. There was some terrible officiating. I mean, they basically took an interception off the board for the New Orleans Saints and handed Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans seven points on one of the worst roughing the passer calls you're going to see all damn year. And I feel like that is becoming a common theme when we do these NFL segments when we're talking around the league. That was a joke tonight. That was an absolute joke. Thankfully, Trevor Simeon got it in high gear. Saints rallied. They had a couple of miraculous throws and scored on a third and long. Had the two-point conversion, didn't get it. So, of course, Titans and Saints, which was a three-point number, falls on two. Tough beat if you had Tennessee. We will gladly take it. Of course, I excluded the Saints from our pixels. Of course. I would be wise enough to do that. I got scared off with Kamara. What can I tell you? I bet it, but I got scared off with Kamara. That race, we'll do the standings at the end of this, but the Titans right now are thinking about a one seed. The Saints, they got to hold off the rest of those bottom feeders for those wild card spots in the NFC. Colts wasn't pretty. They had a big lead. They let Jacksonville get back in the game, but they'll take it 23 to 17. This is a game the Colts couldn't lose. They wanted to make the postseason. Jacksonville's been a little bit better as of late, but I mean, that is, that's just been a rotten first season all around for Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence. Rotten, rotten season. Um, how about that Lions Steeler game? You want to talk about a challenge of two teams that didn't want to win a football game? That was the definition of two teams that didn't want to win a football game. Detroit, I don't know how you continue to run Jared Goff out there as a quarterback. He is so bad. He is so in over his head. It makes it that much more remarkable thinking about the Los Angeles Rams getting to a Super Bowl. I don't care what they had on that roster with Jared Goff as their quarterback. It's mind-blowing because he stinks. Then you had the Steelers. Mason Rudolph, I thought at Oklahoma City he had a big arm. He can throw the ball down the field. You had missed field goals. You had fumbles. It looked like the Steelers were going to win it late. They had a fumble late. I mean, it was just an absolute cost you know what of a game. And all you need to know about the AFC North, the Steelers tie a winless football team and actually gain ground. Let that sink in for a minute. Gain ground. Steelers got no picnic, though. Go look at their schedule over the next seven, eight weeks. They missed a golden chance to get what should have been a layup. Better no Ben. You got to win that game against the Detroit Lions. Ty, not good enough. I guess better than a loss, but I'm not feeling particularly good about it. How about the football team? Upset of Sunday. Washington 29-19 over the Bucs. I'm out of my knockout pool. And I audibled out of the Steelers when the Ben News came down. And I had a choice. I could have went Tampa. I could have went Dallas. I chose poorly. I feel like I'm in Indiana Jones in the last crusade. I chose very, very poorly. And Brady has these stinkers once a year. 
It's usually a weird game. It's usually against a weird team. Washington came out of the bye. They got Brandon Sheriff back on the offensive line. And credit Taylor Heineke. He played great against Tampa last year in the playoffs. He played great in this game. Because it looked like Tampa was going to get back in this thing in the second half. And basically, Washington milked the clock. They bled it. They scored. Game set match. Tampa's 6-3. and three. They're still fine, I think, in this division. But the idea that they or anybody else was going to run and hide from a number one seed perspective, that's out. Unless you think that team is going to be the Green Bay Packers, who now are 8-2 and two along with the Arizona Cardinals. And how about the Panthers? Cam Newton is back. He's screaming, I'm back. He's ripping the helmet off. And listen, I was a week late or it was a week early, I should say. It was a week early in fading the Arizona Cardinals. I did that last week against San Francisco. No Murray, no Hopkins. Tough to survive that two weeks in a row. I mean, you, you don't have your quarterback. You don't have your best playmaker. And Carolina was ready to play. Give me credit. They're a different offense with McCaffrey back. And I think they're going to be more intriguing with Cam. I know Cam can't throw the football like he once did. He's not the MVP version of Cam Newton. I'd rather watch Cam than Sam Darnold this right. Sam Darnold stinks. At least they were interesting, maybe, Cam Newton, the quarterback. They're interesting. And they play good defense. So that's a team that I think will be spunky down the second half of this year. Um, I'm stunned by the Packers-Seahawks game. If you would have told me Seattle holds Green Bay to 17 points, I would have liked Seattle. I would have loved Seattle's chances of winning this game outright. Russell Wilson's stunned. I love him. He's one of my favorite players in the league. That's probably the worst performance I think I've ever seen from a Russell Wilson-led team. I mean, they put up a goose egg on the scoreboard. He took two terrible interceptions. He just was very uncomfortable, very off his mark. They didn't run the football effectively at all. And Green Bay plays really, really sound defense. This was not a vintage Aaron Rodgers game. This game was three to nothing for basically two and a half quarters. Green Bay's defense, from where it was three years ago to where it is right about now, it's at a whole different place. The level of play is just dramatically better to the point now where you could start thinking about Green Bay being more than just a regular season team. This defense is even better than what I saw last year from the Packers. It's very, very impressive. Make sure one to two with Rodgers. You're going to be in a better situation than this one next year. I know you're pissed about love. I know you don't love the front office. I know they've had some snafus in the draft. Yeah, you'd rather have Michael Pittman Jr. over Jordan Love on the Packers. thousand percent. But you're going to be in a better scenario next year? I mean, look around the league. You're gonna, I know you're great. I know you're going to go somewhere. They're immediately going to be a 10, 11, 12-win team. Sure. Better situation in Green Bay? I'm not so sure about that. Not so sure about that. And then finally, the Eagles take down the Broncos 30 to 13. And I'm furious. I didn't, I didn't include the Eagles in the picks. When that line fell a pick them, that was basically all you needed to know. A three-win team against a five-win team. And yet, they're on the road and it's a pick them. Big day for Mr. Devontae Smith. Big scoop and score for Darius Slay. And, you know, the Broncos are one of those teams. They're very uninspiring. They're going to win a couple more games down the stretch. They're not making the postseason. They're not. The big winners today, Kansas City, New England. 
Hands down, I'd say those two teams. Kansas City now back in a position where they feel like they're top dog within the division. Folks, here we go again with those goddamn Patriots. And one more thing before we do voicemails. Listen, the Nets smoke Oklahoma City, no surprise there. Saw this earlier today, and it puts into perspective the brilliance of Durant. Not that you need me to remind you of this. Saw this on Twitter. I want to point this out. Since the 83-84 season, only three players have averaged 29 points, shooting at least 58.5% from the field through their first 13 games. Michael Jordan in 1998, Shaquille O'Neal in 1994, and a guy by the name of Kevin Durant in 2021. What do I bring this up? He's a really special player. There are things Kevin Durant will do from time to time that piss me off, that get under my skin a little bit. Yeah, I'm still bitter and I'm super salty that he ended up choosing the wrong New York team to come play basketball for. Guy's a special talent. He's an absolute freak. I know he's playing for the Nets. You know, I'm having some fun at your expense, then, fans. You have him, so I get to have fun at your expense. That's the way it works. I'm very jealous of the fact that you get to watch him night in and night out. I'm not going to lie. Very, very jealous. All right, voicemail time. 917-382-1151 and... Just a programming reminder, for anybody who's wondering about our Spotify green rooms on Sunday, they have been a ton of fun. Warren Sharp joins us. Eagle Eye Picks joins us. So if you're missing out on our Spotify green rooms, Sunday at high noon, right before the games, I'm running through them all. I'm taking your calls. It's, it's a ton of fun. Download the Spotify green room app and thank me later. It's a great compliment to what we have here on New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. All right, voicemail time. Uh, the clock has struck midnight indeed for the New York Jets and Mike White. I, I, I think most are going to come to that conclusion. All right, let's let it off. JJ is Kump from Staten Island calling you from the parking lot of MetLife Stadium. It's the middle of the third quarter and it's pandemonium out here because the whole fucking stadium's emptying out. This goddamn Jet team is an embarrassment. Adam Gates level fucking disgusting performance from them. I got the Jets teased up to 18 and a half. I can't even stick around to watch that. The bets are fucking over for that, too. What a disgrace of a performance this was at once again. How do you fucking support this team? When is it going to get better? Take care. Cup, I feel your pain, buddy. I mean, if you tease the Jets up and you go to the game today and you're thinking you're going to have a little bit of fun, like, even if the Jets are down, like, 21 points, you can hang around if you got the ball with two or three minutes thinking you're going to snake that tease. To not even have that possibility, yeah, it's miserable, dude. I, I I totally get it. You gotta hope you start hitting on some draft picks. You gotta hope that this coaching staff figures out what's going on defensively. We know that there is some talent deficiencies across the roster. There's no secret in that. That's pretty obvious. You want to see the team compete. They have fought. They definitely have fought more so than they did last year in the Gays regime. But they've had some hideous losses here. I mean, non-competitive type of games. The Patriot games, this game against Buffalo, and you're playing Miami on Sunday. This should be a competitive game against the Dolphins. You want to tell me the Dolphin defense is playing well and they could overwhelm you with a young quarterback? If they play the way they did against Baltimore, that's going to be tough for Wilson, White, whoever. Because clearly what they tried to do with White, they said, we're daring you to go and beat us down the field. And we don't think you can do it. And you know what? Buffalo was right about that. That was the mistake Cincinnati did not make 
or it is the mistake I should say Cincinnati did make and Buffalo did not make. Cincinnati basically said, we don't care. We'll let you dick, think a dunk, nickel and dime, whatever. He did. Buffalo said, hell with that. We're stacking the box. We're playing everybody up. Beat us 20 to 30 yards down the field. Mike White couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. It was only a matter of time before somebody was going to go to town on that. And Buffalo's got arguably one of the best defenses in football. So they're more than capable of doing so. More than capable. That was an ugly game. I wish I could feel and find a positive for you, Mr. Cump. That unfortunately, after you go and give up 45 points for the second week in a row, and your quarterback throws a bunch of interceptions, you go from Mike White chance to Joe Flacco chance in MetLife Stadium. I mean, if you're chanting for Joe Flacco, I mean, what is this, Baltimore in 2013? Come on. Who's next? JJ, it's uh, Phil from Bedford. You know, I decided to reserve my judgment on Robert Sala for a couple of weeks. Usually, you know, you want to give a coach a little time to implement the system and then just see some improvement as the year goes on. But I, I can't reserve judgment anymore. I'm sorry. You have a delay of game penalty on a fourth and inches? I mean, are you fucking kidding me? You think that could ever happen under Phil Belichick's team? Okay. Then you have a million holding penalties. And all of a sudden, by the way, when I, the Robert Sala I saw in San Francisco, he was on the sideline with a holdback guy. This guy is just chewing his gum, emotionless, expressionless, doesn't, not even talking into his headset the whole freaking game. What is he doing? And you know what? There's supposed to be a big culture change. It looks the same. It looks like the same exact garbage to me. In fact, I don't see any improvement over the Adam Gase-led team. Any. Maybe the offensive play calling is slightly more creative, but this is the same garbage, and I'm done with giving Joe Douglas a free pass. I know he's only had two drafts or whatever, but there is no talent on this team. This defense is still slow as can be. There is nothing to hang your hat on here. And I don't want to hear about, you know, we have to let the young players develop and stuff because it's been 10 years of this, okay? And the Patriots already have freaking Tom Brady 2.0 like less than a year later after he's gone. It is a joke. I'm out. Jeff, they're not happy. And this is not going to be a happy Sunday. When you get smoked by the Bills, the Patriots are back to looking like a machine and they're on their way to the postseason this year. It's not going to sit well with you. Um, the delay game was an excellent, excellent point. And I didn't even bring it up in the open because, listen, when you lose and give up 45 points and your quarterback turns into a pumpkin, it was not the determining factor in any way of the Jets winning or losing this game. But it's a bad look for the coaching staff. When you have a 4-1 to one and you're planning on going for it, you cannot allow your quarterback to go and take a delay game. And I know some are going to make the argument, well, the quarterback's got to know. The quarterback's got to call timeout. Nonsense. The coaching staff's got to know the situation. The quarterback's got 10 zillion other things to worry about, especially an inexperienced quarterback. Run down the damn sideline and call a timeout. That is a bad look for the coaching staff. I wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly agree. And to me, it was the point of frustration more than anything else that I saw today that had me angry with Sal and his staff because that can't happen. That is losing football. It just is. It's losing football. When it comes to Joe Douglas, you know what I've noticed in his tenure? And this may change. He may churn out some draft picks who end up being players. What I've noticed with Douglas, he wins the trades. What do I mean by that? The Jamal Adams trade looks good. They weren't going to sign Leonard Williams. The Leonard Williams trade looks good. The way they've accumulated draft picks looks good. No argument there. 
What I am trying to figure out, though, can Joe Douglas drag? I don't have a definitive yes to that answer at this point. I mean, do you? He has not been great in free agency. That has not been his strong suit in any way. He's still got another year or two to compile draft classes because I do believe with a general manager in football, you've got to give them at least three to four years to really get their program implemented unless they're an idzik disaster where it's like, holy crap, you don't know what you're doing. It may turn out that Douglas, from a drafting standpoint, doesn't know what he's doing, especially if he whiffs on the quarterback. The process has been good. Like, I've been supportive of it. I'll be the first to tell you that. Whether or not he's hitting on guys, though, hmm, that's where the jury's out. That's how I'm evaluating Joe Douglas. Process? Good. Results? Not so much. Who's next? JJ, what's going on, man? It's Tyler. I'm up at SB right now. Let's go Orange. I was listening to the pod since Friday, and I heard your comment about how the Orange are going to miss Kadori Richmond and how you're going to miss Kadori Richmond. And sure, yeah, he's a really solid defender, but there's something telling. Beheim said this during basketball media today, and I would know I was there, that Kadari went to Team Hall where they have five guards. They're not going to play much, and he wasn't in the best of shape. So when he, when he was at SU, so I don't think there's not much where you can do. I just don't think he had the drive. And when you look at this roster, I was at the Lafayette game as well, watching Simon Torrance, watching Swider and Jimmy and Benny, these guys that the Orange brought in. I think they're going to be just fine. Sure. It's one game against a team who was nine and 16 or nine and six last year, but this is, this Orange team can compete. They're going to do a lot better than what the pundits think. Is having them rank seventh in the ACC. I think that's ridiculous. This team could go far, I think, further than the Sweet 16 last year. But regardless, man, next time you come up to the Qs, let's meet up because let's go hard. It's going to be a good season. Thanks. Take care. Well, I agree with your overall sentiment. I think Syracuse is going to be a good team this year. They got a lot of returning players. They shoot it great. I was dialed in. It's amazing. I had football going on second half. Uh, I made sure that we pulled out the second screen for Syracuse and Drexel. So I had the red zone going, and then I actually had Syracuse-Drexel going. So that's when you know I bleed Syracuse basketball. I love my boys. They're going to be fun to watch. I still would prefer this team a heck of a lot more if Kadari Richmond was backing up Gerard. Actually, I'll take it a step further. I wish he was starting over Joe Gerard and Gerard was coming off the bench, and they didn't go and get Torrance. But that's water under the bridge at this point. So I'm not going to like work myself up over it because it's done. Kadar Richmond, Seton Hall player. We'll see how he ends up turning out. I know a lot of people within the audience might have Seton Hall ties. We'll see if he ends up being a player. I think he's going to be a player. I would put my money on yes. But Syracuse can play. I'm excited to see him down in Atlantis. I think they're playing that tournament over Thanksgiving week. I'm not going to the Nova game. I thought I was going to. I'm going to be in Florida doing the shows, so I'll be uh, on a beach, maybe sipping a mojito, and then I'll come in and watch Syracuse at night. I will be up at the Carrier Dome for the Louisville game. I've decided that is when I'm going to make my triumphant return back to the 315, the Louisville game, which I believe is the bye week between Championship Sunday and the Super Bowl. That's the initial plan as of right now. We'll see if that changes. Who's next? Hey, JJ, this is Conrad from West Milford. Calling back in. Love the show. I wanted to talk about the Mets. I was listening to your last show, and everyone's calling about the Mets. Everybody's down on the Mets. 
and I just wanted to give my two cents about it. First off, I feel the Mets could do nothing right. Everything they do gets bashed in the media. Every newspaper is Yankee-centric. Uh, they're hiring a lawyer as opposed to the last two GMs uh, who was an agent and the other one was a pervert and the other one was a drunk. And then we also had Mickey in the system. So now we get a lawyer with nothing negative in their background and they're saying that that's bad too. If it was any other team, they would think it was a great idea. He does have a history. He does have an MLB track record. And you know what? They're saying that there's a lot of back channels between the Mets and Stearns. Maybe that's Stearns' guy. Maybe Stearns says, you know, let him sit there for a year. And when my contract's up next year, I'll come in and he'll, he'll stay the GM. I'll be the president of baseball ops. As far as the other people who turned us down, Bean's never been to a World Series. Or, I mean, if he has, about as many times as Sandy has. Sandy got us there. Uh, so he has a good track record, just as good as Stearns. So I, I, I'm just, I, I'm tired of hearing all the gloom and doom, all the negativity. And of course, the guy from the Brewers is not going to let us interview his people. He's the one person that voted against Cohen taking over the team. So let's just calm down. Let the Mets do their thing. Let's sign some free agents and let's look forward to a good season. Thanks for listening, JJ. I can't be preaching positivity currently with the Mets. I'm sorry, I can't. Because this first year of the Cohen Aldis in partnership was a disaster. They had expectations of winning a division. It didn't happen. Lindor had a down year. was a massive flop. I think it'll be much better in year two. But year one, you're not singing his praises. DeGrom goes down with an injury. Uh, the trade deadline, they didn't do much. They had a big lead in the middle of June. They let that go right down the toilet. And... You're missing something when it comes to these storylines that are being spun around the Mets. The presence of Sandy Alderson is hurting this team. You could try to spin it that other candidates, you know, Bean, he's won just as much. Hold on a second. Bean hasn't come close to having anywhere near the resources that Sandy Alderson has had. And I know Beningo can't stand Bean. I'm actually a big proponent of Billy Bean. I think he's a phenomenal GM. I think to this day, if he would have taken a Red Sox job and he would have went in 2003 when they offered him the Kings ransom. He would have been the guy that's the conquering hero up there, not Theo Epstein, because a lot of the principles they were using in Oakland, they took in Boston. The Yankees started doing this sort of stuff. Like, this is, like, the guy was way ahead of his time as an innovator. And his teams are good every year with limited resources. Every single year, they do more with less. But from a Mets standpoint, your job is not, like, jumping off the page at anyone. Because Alderson is there. I don't even think it's ownership. I think it's the idea of, hey, you want to run a baseball team. I want to do it my way. I don't want to have Sandy Alderson, who's been in the front office for 30 years, tell me what to do. Like, if you're David Stearns, you want that? I'd say, hell no. No knock on Sandy. Distinguished baseball career. But 2021, I don't want him running my team anymore. That's the issue with the Mets. That's the point you are missing when it comes to why are people like me and why are there many other media members who are really down about their search to hire an executive and the fact that they still don't have a manager. I think that plays a major, major role in it. I really do.
Last and not least, what do we got? JJ, it's uh, it's Anthony and Syosset. Um, I called you earlier in the week about the Titans. I saw that you were on the Saints today. You know the way that game ended. You know you talked about being on the wrong end of the soccer bet for me at least. Um, random thought, and I just wanted to be on the record here. Like this is probably has nothing to do with any calls you're going to get today. It's going to be a lot of NFL, I'm sure. Uh, you know, can the Jet fan relax? Can the Jet fan relax for a minute? You know, they were telling me that this is like a Kurt Warner. Tom Brady-esque story. Maybe they can relax right now that my in-laws team, you know, from Western New York, basically. And by the way, that is a disgraceful job by the Jets fan, basically allowing like 75,000, you know, Western New Yorkers into that stadium today. That's not the story. Um, The Yankees had a uh, season ticket holder open house today at the stadium. And I'm not a season ticket holder, but you know, I have a lot of, you know, friends in the bleachers and um, I want to shout out Evelyn. You may remember her. She sits. Um, she used to sit on the aisle down by where Milton rang the bell. She sees the pictures of the boys on Facebook. She said, maybe your sons want to go. I said, yeah, sure. We went. We had a great time. But here's the thing I want. And, and if anybody who was listening is there, maybe they can vouch. So they let people on the field. They let them in the lounges. They let them in the, in the you know, suites and, and this, that, and the other. And then in center field, there, there was a line. And I thought it was a line from Monument Park. Because these people had their kids waiting again. It was a line to get into the visitor's bullpen. So I go to the security guard. I go, where's the line from Monument Park? He goes, there is no line. You could just walk in. And I walk in. There was nobody there. I mean, what the fuck is going on with people now, especially like our generation now, raising, you know, the future? You'd rather have your kids go see the fucking visitor's bullpen than go and explain to them, you know, why number one is retired, why number 23 is retired. You know, tell them a couple stories about number five and number seven. I mean, dude, I'm telling you right now, the, I, you know how I feel about the ownership and the front office, and it's starting to trickle down to the fucking fan base, too. I mean, the Yankee fan today was an absolute disgrace, waiting online to take the kids to the visitor's fucking bullpen when you can go to Monument Park and explain the history of this team. That's a disgraceful job by anybody who was there today. Anthony, I don't have kids. When I do, I'll take on the Monument Park. Don't you worry. I don't get that. Um, I really don't get that. Like Monument Park and the Yankees ruined it with the new stadium. The old Monument Park and the old Yankee Stadium was amazing. It was electric. You could see the numbers from left field. It had this sort of like intimidating presence where it kind of like hovered over the stadium. Now it's basically in the back cave in center field. You can't see any of the numbers. That is one of the 10,000 things the Yankees screwed up with their new stadium. All right, it's state of the art. The players love the new technology, yada, yada, yada. Guess what? The tradition and a lot of the chills and feels that you used to get from the old place are gone now. That new Monument Park stinks. It may be modernized. They may have all the stuff. It's nowhere close to the same experience that I got when I was eight years old. And back then, we went before a game. We had to get to the game like two and a half hours early to go through Monument Park. And I got the pictures to prove it. I got the picture with me and Babe Ruth. I got the picture with me and Mickey Mantle's number. I got them all. I got them all. Because I ate that stuff up when I was a kid. And thankfully, my parents were smart enough to take me there because they knew I was a crazy person. Yeah, I, I don't know how you go to a Yankee Stadium tour and not take your kids or whoever to Monument Park. I mean, that's that's sloppy. Very, very sloppy. All right, Carver High is giddy. His team whooped the Jets. He's up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? 
you take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So it ended up being a rather lousy day for a good chunk of the audience after that whooping at Live Stadium. I can tell you guys having a wonderful day because he basically told me all week, this Mike White stuff has got to stop. It's got to come to an end. My team is going to take care of it. So we welcome back our resident Buffalo Bill fan, the voice of Isle Nation in many ways, my main man, the great Mike Carver over at SportsGrid. Buddy, you're having a Sunday. What's up, dude? Hey, JJ. Always good to be back with you. Yeah, uh, it was time to put Mike White bat- back in the cupboard, buddy. I mean, it was time. Enough of this. We've been listening for three weeks. The savior, Mike White. How do you look on Sunday? Throw another pick right now, JJ? Another one I think going he the did. other way? Or I think Josh Allen just scored another touchdown. I mean, How about your team, by the way, basically throwing? That was Belichick style. They're yeah. up 35 plus points. They're like, screw it. We were so lousy. We were so bad last week. We are letting everybody know that that was a one-week anomaly, and we're A-OK. It's funny because when it got to 38-3 to at the end of the third quarter, I think he was taking Josh out of the game. I'm, I'm, they started to show Davis Webb warming up on the sideline, and then the Jets scored a touchdown after that, and then he was like, ah, you know what? Get everybody back in there. Let's go for some more. <laughs> they go down and got another touchdown. But they needed that, JJ. They had an embarrassing loss in Jacksonville last Sunday. You knew that McDermott and the crew were going to come out. They wanted to wipe that away. They did it in a big way. Teams have losses like that. The Bills got back on track. I'll tell you what was really big for them, JJ. They got their right tackle back, and they got Dawson Knox back. Now, Knox didn't have a great game, but he was another option out on the field that you had to account for, and it helped the Bills out big time. I don't know what annoyed you more about the whole Mike White experience. Was it the idea that I play with the confidence of the number one overall pick? Uh, Out of any of the quotes this week, because you would text me, you would blow up basically anytime you saw one of these, I could tell. uh, You almost were using it as bulletin board material. Was there one that like irked you more than anything? I actually didn't have as big a problem with the whole I should have been the first overall pick thing. Like I don't mind confidence like that. But I think it always goes back to the fan base, JJ. It's like the guy played one game against the Bengals. By the way, it's the Bengals. I know they're having a good year. But as you know, JJ, Bengal always Bengal at some point. And they did that Sunday against the Jets when Mike White played. And he got hurt in the Indianapolis game. I mean, he wasn't the second coming of Joe Montana. What bothered me the most about it was you just drafted a guy second overall this year. And I know he hasn't looked good. but here we go. I mean, nothing like ruining this kid's confidence. He's never left Utah his entire life. He's sitting in New York City. He's got this guy, Mike White. The, the players are chanting for him in the locker room, JJ. They're chanting for him. It's like, what are we doing here? He's Mike White. Let's calm down. They, and I'm telling you right now, JJ, Salah and Joe Douglas, they sat in their office last night having a little drink before the game, and they said, listen, you know what? It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if this guy looks awful tomorrow. Because the well, wall, because now you yeah. don't have to worry about yeah. a quarterback controversy. Ooh. They play the Miami Dolphins next Sunday. 
assuming Wilson's healthy, he's starting that game. The walls were closing in from the media and the fans. Mike White, Mike White, Mike White. Trust me, those two guys, they'll obviously never admit it publicly. They always want to win, blah, blah, blah. Those two guys wanted to see Mike White have the game that he had on Sunday because now, seamless, Zach's back in, get back on the development program, let's go. Okay, your team, the Bills. They're the favorites, I think, according to most, to go win the AFC. Uh, I know you don't like that. I know it bothers you. Uh, I'm going to have you now take a step out of your Bills shoes for a moment. And lastly, you could stand them. You could stand them. That's fine. <laughs> tell me, tell me the team up and down the AFC. If there's one team that kind of scares you the most, is it Tennessee? You see, the thing with Tennessee is you can't guarantee me right now that Henry's going to play in January. No idea. You can't, you can't guarantee it. So without Henry, and I know they've won the last two weeks without him. Uh, you know, hey, it is what it is. They beat the Rams, which is a great win. And then they beat the Saints here today. I get that, but we're talking serious January football. I need to know if Henry's playing or not. And the Titans have had a way of losing these games when they put it in Tannehill's hands the last couple of years uh, in the playoffs. So I'm not ready to go Titan yet. Everybody's got their warts right now, JJ. They do. I mean, the Ravens look bad on Thursday against your Dolphins. The Chiefs have had their problems all year long. The Chargers, everybody was starting to anoint them. And what's happened to the Chargers the last Team doesn't play a lick of defense. No. They don't play a lick of defense. I love the Vikings today. I know the Vikings are one of those teams you can never trust. The Chargers should be in that category. I don't care how flashy Herbert may be. They don't guard me and you. And their offense has not been as explosive as people think over the last five or six games. It just hasn't been. You look at it right now as we sit here. I mean, the Bills are plus 260 to win the AFC. The Ravens are next at plus 490. I mean, that's a little bit of a gap, JJ. I mean, they're once again, after this performance today, squarely at the top of the board. And here's the other reason why. Their schedule, JJ, is nonsense the rest of the way. I mean, it's nonsense. Now, look, they have two Patriot games, and those are suddenly going to become well, I was gonna some ask enormous you about games. I was going <laughs> to ask you about that. Bill from Los Angeles is downright giddy about oh, his team. Man. He's sipping Mac Jones Kool-Aid. They smoked the Browns today. They're playing great defense. I can't And listen, all of us have PTSD when it comes to New England. If you're a Bills fan, if you're a Dolphins fan, if you're a Jets fan, because of what they've done for 20-plus years, is there any part of you that is just scared shitless thinking about the Patriots playing them in big games here? It's sick, to be quite honest with you. I mean, God, I mean, these people had 20 years of glory. They have one year without Tom where they didn't make the playoffs last year. I mean, could you at least give him like three or four years off? Like, could we, couldn't we have taken a break for a couple years? We all love you, Bill, out there. But three or four years off, that wouldn't have been so hard to ask for? No. We got the Patriots back in the mix here. Six and four. Here we go. Look, you could make a case right now, JJ. The Bills and the Patriots could be the two best teams in the AFC right now. They, I wouldn't have a problem they, with that. They could as be. crazy as it is because of the coach, because be. of the defense. And because of the fact the rest of the conference just isn't any good. No. It's not anything to write home about. The best teams right now outside of Buffalo, we're talking Bucks, who lost today, but still, L.A., um, Green Bay, and Dallas, you could argue four to five best teams are currently in the NFC. There's no question about it. And you look, the Bills and the Pats, they might play three times this year, twice in December, and they could have a January date as well. Um, but here's why the Bills have this leg up, JJ. I mean, listen to this schedule. Home for Indianapolis. They visit the Saints on Thanksgiving night. They'll win that game with Trevor Simeon playing quarterback. You know that. Then they play the Monday night game at home against the Patriots. 
They go to Tampa. That's a nice Sunday 425 game, Johnny. Brady and the Bucks against the Bills in Tampa, Sunday Maybe 425. Maybe a Super Bowl preview. Really good game. But then they finish, finish home Carolina at New England, home Atlanta, home Jets. I mean, that's a, you talk about a nice little runway to the end of the season. The Bills should win between 11 and 13 games, JJ. They should. And we're sure. going to need that for our season total. You and yes, I have both invested both. in the Bills over this year. So <laughs> well, we, we need to make sure that they take care of business to yes. hit that total. Um, Monday night, before I get your thoughts on the Islanders, before we say goodbye, this game stinks, dude. Yeah. I do not like the Rams in this spot. I know the Niners stink. I know the Niners did me dirty on Sunday. They've done me dirty in the past. They've given McVay a lot of trouble. This is a kitchen sink game for the Niners. I'm not saying I love it. I'm not saying to throw a bunch of money down on this game. I'd be very leery of laying three and a half with LA tomorrow night. Very leery. I'd feel a lot worse about it if they didn't just get embarrassed at home by the Titans on Sunday night. I, I think that that's got to play into this a little bit here, Johnny. Like I, I, I've told you since the beginning of the year, I think the 49ers were completely overrated. I thought they were the worst team in the NFC West. I couldn't believe how big their win total was. They are a complete fraud paper tiger team, the San Francisco 49ers. They're not a good football team. They've beaten the Eagles, the Lions, and the Bears this year. I mean, that's it. That ain't saying much. But the line's moving towards the Niners here, JJ, as we're getting closer to Monday night. We always, you know, the the signals go off. Me and you look at this stuff. A lot of us look at this stuff. And when that starts to happen, you start to say, I want to get on Niner here because the line's going that way. Man, it would be... McVay comes out and they have a bad performance two weeks in a row, JJ, was supposed to be a big team in the NFC. You're going to lose to the Titans at home and then go on the road, lose two primetime games in a row. That would look real bad for the Rams. I think they do have a big performance on Monday night. All right, so you're on the Los Angeles Rams. Yes. If I had to play the game, I'm going to take the San Francisco 49ers. If- and these <laughs> underdogs hitting like crazy. They are hitting like crazy. You wonder if there would be regression this week after uh. all the chaos of last week. Nonsense. Washington wins outright. Miami wins outright, but you know sooner or later the market will eventually correct itself. That's the way it goes, Mike. Game of runs. Listen, no no question. I think we've seen some roller coasters already. First seven, eight weeks of the season, heavy chalk. I mean, we had to read all these dopey stories about Vegas losing money every week. Who cares? They're supposed to lose money. All right? They're allowed to lose a couple bucks once in a while, too. They always get it back, and now here we go. The dogs have had a little bit of a run. I'll tell you what I like the most on Monday night. I like the under, JJ, 50 and a half. I don't think there's a lot of points I in this like game. I like that, too. I like that, I think that it's too. a low-scoring game. Very low-scoring game. You could tease the Niners up and tease yeah. that under down. I don't I, mind I, that. Tease that under up, I should yeah. say. I like that a lot. I don't I like mind that. I like that a lot. Me and you'll be on that. Um, your Islanders. <laughs> yes. Weird year. Waiting to get home games because of go. everything going on with the arena. Uh, five, four, and two to start. I know you're not thrilled about that, but well, very early. Well, look, here's the deal. They got two more games left. Uh, Saturday is the day, JJ, where they open the doors, then cut the ribbon over at UBS Arena at Belmont Park. So they've made it through this six-week odyssey. They're five, four, and two. They have a big game Monday night where they play Tampa for the first time since losing game seven down there in June uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. So... Let's see. I, I, I think that 5-4-2, uh, if they split this and let's say they win 6-5-2 and two over this 13-game stretch, hey, I can't complain about that. Playing basically 500 hockey when you're starting the year, first 13 games on the road, not a problem. But here's what they, they're getting into that lull where they're missing some scoring right now. And this happens to the Islanders every year in the regular season under Barry Trotz. They go through lulls where they don't score goals. But it's okay, JJ, because 
They are built for the playoffs. They are not built for the 82-game regular season. They do enough, make sure that they have themselves in position to be in the dance, and then they're in the dance, and that's where the strength of their roster takes over, and they become a team that's gone to the last four the last two years. I had with shoes and on. Uh, I got to end on this. Sorry, I'm keeping you a little too long. But no, that's the keep way it me goes. forever. I don't care. That's what we do. College football playoff. You're doing this now all the yeah. time. Serious yes. XM at Sports Grid. Yeah. Georgia's a lock. We know that. I think the Big Ten winner is a lock. They will be there. I'd be shocked if we don't have a Big Ten team in the field of four. Gut feel, Mike Carver. Cincinnati, in or out? I think right now they are out. Uh, I, I, I really do. I, I, and now listen, the, the chaos theory that they need has started to take some shape. Oklahoma losing to Baylor was huge for them. But here's the problem for them with the Big 12. If Oklahoma State keeps winning and they beat Oklahoma in the Bedlam game and they still have one loss, I'm sorry, Johnny, a one-loss Oklahoma State team, even a one-loss Oklahoma team, is I feel over Cincinnati. is better than Cincinnati. So even though they've gotten the one loss already, I think the Bearcats need the Big 12 to have a two-loss team as their champion for them to jump over one of them. And I think they have other problems as well. I think they still need Georgia to beat Alabama. They need Alabama Give them to a lose. second loss. One loss Alabama is getting in. Because the two They're SEC teams, the two SEC teams is a major problem for them. They're not going to be able to overcome that because you're right. The Big Ten is 100% getting somebody in. Now, the only scenario that I can even picture in my mind where they don't is if Ohio State goes to the title game and loses to Wisconsin or something like that. And some dopey, you know, they lose some ridiculous game in the Big Ten title game. They're not going to put the West champion in, of course. That's the only way. I don't see it happening. Michigan's not going to beat Ohio State. You know it and I know it. Harbaugh's not going to get that done. The offense is too good for the Buckeyes. They'll score a ton of points. Harbaugh's not going to be able to stop them. And Oregon's the key also for Cincinnati, They're going to lose to Utah this week. Here's, I already saw that Utah is favored against Oregon. Here's how about the, that? And how about this? Favored. They're going to have to beat them twice. Think about this, because they're going to play this week in Utah, and then they're going to play two weeks from now in the, the Pac-12 Pac title, title game. game. Uh -huh. So you're going to tell me they're going to beat Utah, who's got a tough running game, or, and you already said it. They're favored against them at home this week. They're going to beat the Utes twice, and then in the middle of that, beat their hated rival, Oregon State. In the, in the Civil War, I know we're not allowed to call it that anymore, but there you go. Oregon and Oregon State in the middle of two Utah games. They're not getting through those three games unscathed, JJ. You know it, and I know it. We watch these teams all the time. They're too sloppy. They're not going to be able to get the job done. Uh, bad job. Uh, that's Cincinnati's path. They need Oregon to lose as well. Well, buddy, I can't wait to have you back on for bowl season. We're yes. going to be busy. Because not only are we going to have all the bowls, we're going to have the end of the NFL season. You're going to have an extra team in the playoffs. Uh, and, hey, college hoops, baby. Conference play. Got the Gavit games this We've week. been off to a good for... start with the college we basketball. Have. I mean, I had UCLA two nights ago. I had Gonzaga last night. I'm off to a nice start. I was with you on those. Uh, very just dipping the toe right now with the big games that have been on. I've been in. But these Gavit games, little Big East and Big Ten over the next couple of days. We could have some fun with that, and too. And you know what? You could get some good numbers in college basketball oh, early. Because there's because 600 games a night. Nobody's paying attention to it. games, Nobody's and if you know attention. what's going on, you could be ahead of the book. Because they're not going to be as sharp as they are for these NFL games. I'm oh, sorry. It's one, just a different breed. 1,000%. These early season college basketball games, if you're paying attention, there are edges to be found. There's a billion games a night. You've got, uh, you know, Gonzaga playing Dixie State. It's just there's opportunities for money to be made, there's no question.
Mikey, enjoy the victory Monday. Uh, we will chat soon and uh, keep cashing, baby. That's the idea. Mike White, JJ. You believe people thought that Mike White was going to beat the Bills today? I mean, yeah, honestly. I mean, thought Mike White was going to be. I think and that, I thought maybe the Jets would be competitive, but we had uh, a couple of Jets folks. Jets got a chance today. They got Mike White going. Let's put him back. There were a couple of folks who kind of signaled me in the direction of disaster. Let's get him back in the closet. Mike White, get him out of here. All right. Hey, maybe uh, at least he could be a good backup for a couple of years. Maybe off that one maybe. Cincinnati game. Maybe. Maybe. You're going to enjoy that. <laughs> All right, buddy. Take care. Good stuff. Be good, pal. Before we say goodbye, we welcome in the great, and we'll close out with the great Jeff Money. Of JJ, Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. This is going to be for tomorrow, Monday, November the 15th. Now, you already know that the selection is for the Monday night game. I'm going to take the Rams, as you know, minus the four over the 49ers. So that's going to be my play. Again, the Rams minus the four over the 49ers. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money, you're not going to like to hear this. We will be heads up on our family play for Monday night football. Now, I don't like it nearly as much as you. And I understand that the Niners have done me dirty. I think it's a kitchen sink game for them. I really do. I think they're going to throw everything at the Los Angeles Rams. The fact that this line is moving against the Rams with all the public coming in on L.A., I think is problematic. Watch this end up being a field goal game. I think the way to play it, though, is tease up the total and play the under. Tease up the Niners. I think it's a little bit of a safer bet. But if I'm giving you a side, Monday Night Football, you know we don't love it. San Francisco 49ers, and I don't even get the four. I'm taking the three and a half. Fellas, outstanding job. Back to reality for New York Jet fans, and I think that reality will mean Zach Wilson, a quarterback, when we're talking about a riveting Sunday matchup a week from now with the Jets and my beloved Miami Dolphins. This was fun. JJ out. Enjoy your week. We are back on Tuesday. Be good, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.